Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show, guys. Today, we have a special guest who I am super excited about, a good buddy of mine, Travis Chappell. Travis is a door-to-door salesman turned founder, investor, speaker, and podcaster. He is the founder of the CEO of Guestio.com, the highest quality guest and show booking marketplace in the industry. He is also co-host of the top rank Build Your Network and Figuring It Out where he's interviewed people like Shaquille Neal, Rob Deirdrick, Grant Cardone, Josh Peck, and many more. Travis, super excited to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, of course, dude. Thanks for having me. So you were actually a big inspiration for me to actually start my show, man, because I remember, you know, we've known each other for, you know, two, three, four years now. We met through the direct sales industry um, through a mutual (laughs) buddy. And you've always been the podcaster guy from as far as I can remember. And I remember we were at lunch or something and we were talking about personal branding and you're just like, start a podcast, start a podcast, start a podcast. And at the time I was like, ah, it sounds cool, but it wasn't really a priority to me. And now fast forward two, three years, I wish I took your advice. What is it about (laughs) podcasts, man, um, that you believe in so much that, you know, entrepreneurs and people should really start looking into and potentially start? Yeah, there's so many reasons, dude. I mean, here, here, here's the whole kind of overarching idea to me is like every entrepreneur is being told that they have to have content. But if you are not a full-time content creator, like if you're not an active creator, thinking about creating content is like at the bottom of your priority list in terms of running your business. Because I mean, you know, you're running a business, you have so many other things you have to worry about. Adding another thing on top of that just seems like uh, such a drain. And then so you so you 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 take everybody's advice and you listen to Gary Vee and you're like okay fine let me go create content so then you like invest in some equipment and you invest in some studio space or whatever but then you sit down in front of a camera for the first time and you're like what do I talk about and yeah. it's it's frustrating because you're probably really good at what you do you know you pro- like everybody probably knows that you're pretty good at what you do but it's a completely and entirely different skill set to sit down in front of a camera and speak not only intelligently and like and, and, and be able to keep one constant flow of thought, you know, going throughout the, the, um, the time that you're filming, but also have it be actionable, practical, inspiring, motivational. For sure. And, and then, so if you, if you aren't naturally good at that, which most people aren't, then you have to have a bunch of prep time leading up to it. And you're coming up with these outlines and, you know, let's talk about this, talk about this, talk about this. And it's like, or you have to hire a team and spend a ton of money on other people who are going to help you get that content out of yourself. And so for me, it's like starting a podcast is like the most simple way to have an engine that drives the rest of your content across all of your social channels. Um, So like you and I can sit down and have an hour long podcast episode where we talk about whatever from beginning stage entrepreneurship to the nitty gritty details of running ad campaigns or like whatever we want to talk about. And then you or your team can take the entire, you know, thing that we do here for an hour and they can pull, you know, a dozen, two dozen different 
30 second, 60 second clips, reels, YouTube shorts, you know, seven minute clips for YouTube or, or, or 30 second clips for TikTok or, uh, or, or, uh, four points that you can outline and put into a blog post or send it into a newsletter or write into, or, or throw in your email copy, like, there's just so many things that come from it and it doesn't require you to sit down and do all that crazy stuff that I was talking about before, just a casual conversation. Um, and then it checks off all the other boxes that are the reason to be creating content to begin with. The reason to create content to begin, begin with is top of funnel activity. It brings in more attention and awareness into your brand, right? But if attention comes into your brand and uh, you know the attention's coming into a leaky bucket, then that attention is going to fall out immediately and you're not going to have as good retention, which means you have to get more attention so that you can increase your retention. Um, but if you repair the holes in the, uh, repair the holes in the bucket with stuff like authority and credibility and borrowed association and things like that, like from interviews where like people are watching this interview right now, I guarantee you somebody watching this interview doesn't know who you are. And somebody watching this interview doesn't know who I am, but now both of those people know who both of us are because we're sitting down and doing this collaboration together talking about all these things. So people that are in your audience are going to see me for the first time. People in my audience are going to see you for the first time. And if they like what we have to say, they're going to actually go follow us. And so we get this little, we get this little, you know, injection of clout, credibility, authority, as well as an, a content engine that drives the rest of the channels that we do. And then on top of all of that, the, the network that I've been able to build in the last five years from doing my show is one that I never thought I would be able to have. It's just, there's something about hosting something. So like, if you're not going to host a podcast, host an event, host a, a meetup, host a dinner, like be a host and bring people into your world and see what happens. And so like the podcast is such a fantastic asset to be able to share with people with whom you just want to have some sort of a conversation or connection with. And then those relationships kind of build organically from there. So there's several reasons. And I just gave, you know, three or four of the top ones, man, there's, there's so much sauce right there, man. Let's, let's dissect some of that. So I totally agree with you because I was that guy. I was that guy that dedicated a lot, a lot of time and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to getting really good at my craft, direct sales, been doing that for the last seven, eight years, yep. you know, semi-successful, doing pretty well. And just like you said, seeing the 21st century and seeing everything going on in line, I'm like, I got to monetize. I got to monetize personal brand, personal brand, personal brand. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? Well, I'm going to go make content. Yep. Thankfully, I have more resources than most people starting out in entrepreneurship. So yep. I can outsource. I can, you know, pay for a production team and do all those things. But even for myself sitting here, you know, one or two hours a week, just filming, watching a camera and talking about whatever I'm talking about, it got the job done, but it just wasn't super enjoyable for me. So much less enjoyable. So much yeah. less enjoyable, not as authentic. And to your point, you don't get that collaboration aspect. Right. And, you know, the thing that really... I guess sparked my my curiosity when it came to podcasts is literally what you said. The power dynamic is so different. You know, I think I you even you either told me this or I heard it on one of your shows. You know, if you go ask, you know, someone making 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar net worth to sit down and pick his brain, he's gonna be like, sure, you know, here's my secretary, 20 G's, 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right. But if you have a super successful show, as you know, yeah. we'll get into with you, you literally can ask these people, create a win-win and have that power and that leverage where they're willing to sit down with you, connect with you for 30, 45 minutes and share some of their secrets to success. And it, the only difference, it's not because of your credibility, it's the credibility behind the thing that you built. Just having the platform. Just, yeah, having, the just platform. having the platform is the asset. Dude, the first times I realized this was like, 
you'll, you'll see this, you'll see this, this dynamic uh, play out in real time. If you, if you go out to a bunch of events or you see people that are really high level interacting with each other. Um, the first time I kind of realized this was with uh, Lewis Howes because the, the, when this was back in 2017, when I was first getting started with my show, I went to this event and it was like a red carpet type event, you know, and there's a bunch of like really, you know, high level entrepreneurs and a couple, you know, um, more like closer to celebrity status type people. And, and it was incredible to me because I knew personally some of the people that were like fangirling over Lewis house, whose businesses were tremendously more valuable than Lewis's. Mm. They had more money in the bank. They like had more quote unquote kind of material success or even entrepreneurial success. But because Lewis had this draw to him from this, you know, kind of platform celebrity type status because of his podcast, people still wanted to be around him more than they cared to be around the person that was running a hundred million dollar plus business, even though Lewis has not hit those types of numbers. And maybe he has now, I don't know, but, um, but I knew back then he, you know, was, he basically had a podcast and he did like education and courses and stuff and he wasn't hurting for money, you know, but like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't running a nine figure business or, or, or starting a billion dollar unicorn. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just, he was, he was a podcaster and it was like one of the first times that clicked to me, like there's like, there's this, this kind of celebrity style draw that happens if, if you have a show that has any sort of like level of success on it. Absolutely. And so having that as an asset to be able to exchange in conversations with people and provide value to another party with whom you would not be able to provide value otherwise is, um, uh, is one of those, you know, like intangibles of having a show that people don't talk about or recognize. Totally. I think it was Grant Cardone that says attention is the most valuable commodity in today's age. And, you know, it's so true. You know, you look at, you know, Logan and Jake Paul, you look at, you know, the full send and I watch these shows, I'm entertained by them. And, you know, I look at it and I'm like, man, I know so many people who, you know, it feels like they can facilitate a lot more value, but because they've mastered the art of attention and grabbing people, you know, their show has been able to catapult them to insane amount of success and being able to be in rooms with Elon Musk, Drake, and and all these superstars because of the leverage they've been able to create from, you know, gathering that attention. Other than podcasts, Travis, are there any other really good ways for the young entrepreneur trying to get going, trying to, you know, take his offline business and maybe get a little bit more online presence that he can start or at least dabble in to start creating that level of attention? Sure. I mean, you can do it really on any social platform. It's just a matter of like, if you don't have any money and you're short on time as well, and you're like just trying to get into the game, then pick one thing and go all in on that one thing. I, like I said, I like podcasting because it didn't require me to learn a bunch of other skills. Um, like we're, we're sitting here in like a home studio with, you know, thousands of dollars in equipment around us and all that stuff. When I started my show though, I had a $60 USB microphone and an upside down laundry basket for a desk. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like this, like it does not, you don't have to have this like crazy professional setup. You know, audio editing is a little bit easier than video editing. So the barrier to entry is a little bit lower. Um, you do have to more produce a, a show uh, and, and you do need to be consistent, but that's going to be, you know, the same advice across any platform that you try to attack. Um, so that's why I like podcasting because it, it can just generate, it can generate all the ideas for you. And then you can take that and you can, 
and you can record a 30 second video and put it on TikTok if you want to. Like if you're just on a, a rant on a podcast for 30 minutes and you're like, oh, that was a really good piece, but I didn't record the video because I was only doing audio. Okay, we'll take that one piece and listen to it a couple times and then recreate it on video. And now you have a you know, TikTok video. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can start on any platform, just pick one though, that you're going to really crush, you know, like, uh, if you want to, if you want to build an email newsletter, uh, subscriber base, do that, start a blog, fine, do that, uh, start on, uh, uh, video shorts, which would just be YouTube shorts, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook reels, just do shorts, you know what I mean? Just do YouTube content or just do podcasting. Um, pick one thing if you're limited on time and resources and get really good at that one thing. Totally. Do you think your background in sales, door-to-door door sales, direct sales has helped you in terms of your ability to communicate um, on podcasts? Absolutely. Do you think it's a totally different skill set? I think it's a different skill set, but if it but it definitely helped. Like the, the, the big thing that it helped with is not necessarily my ability to you know, ask questions or communicate clearly on a podcast. It, it more helped me in my ability to create a podcast that separated me from all the other shows that were out there mm. because I, because like my big, my big draw at the beginning before anybody knew who I was, was like the people that I was interviewing, the people that I'd be able to land for my show. And that was 100% like basically the same thing as door to door sales. It was just, you know, not actually physically door to door. It was just like Instagram DM to Instagram yeah. DM. You know what I mean? <clears throat> um, and just reaching out to people that were on a caliber that was way higher than I was. And it's just throwing like laying it all out there and saying, Hey, come on my show, come on my show, come on my show. You do that enough times to enough people, you start getting some yeses. And then like the more yeses you get, the easier it is to go ask the next person. It just like creates this kind of snowball effect that like, you know, it, like the, the first, the first little bit is like, is like rolling a snowball uphill, like while you're trying to build it and let it grow. And that's hard work. But when you get to the other side and you push it over, the snowball just kind of starts growing and building on itself and, and it's you know moving faster than you can even keep up with. And that's kind of how it was um, when even just with the guest lineup, that's how it was. Like some of my biggest interviews at this point have been people reaching out to me or like PR teams reaching out to my show because they have, like John Maxwell came on my show because their publicist reached out to me. It's crazy. Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Houston Rockets and one of the world's, I mean, he actually, I think he just took his, his company public through a SPAC last year. But before that he was the largest privately owned, like hundred percent privately owned company in the country with like $6 billion worth uh, of, of value in the company. And he was a hundred percent owner, which is, does not happen. And he was in the restaurant industry, which is a difficult one to compete in. But anyway, so, so Tillman Fertitta came on my show because they pitched me. John Maxwell came on my show because he pitched me. I just had this guy on my show right before I came over here that was, um, uh, has a, a decentralized social media networking uh, a platform called Minds with like almost 10 million users. He's been on Joe Rogan a few times. Like he got booked on my show because of a publicist reaching out to us. It's no long, it was no longer like me having to go out and find all the high caliber guests. Um, it kind of, you know, flipped along the way. And not to, not to say that I don't do that anymore. I still do. But uh, my point is, is it gets a little bit easier as you go along. And when I started, I didn't have any of that. And the, the door to door, like the ability to handle and face rejection and, and, uh, collect feedback and implement it into your next pitch. You know, that all directly came from, from door to door. Totally. What was the point where you went from hunter to hunted? For sure. You're still out there, you know, building, you know, your Rolodex and, and getting influential, um, you know, guests, but was there a shifting point for you? Was it a certain guest? Was it a certain amount of shows where you started feeling like, Oh man, like this is actually really something. And you started to attract high caliber people. 
Yeah, it was probably it was probably like a year, year and a half in where my guest lineup was really good and I got back up onto the top charts organically. So like what happened was like when, when you first launch, I, like Apple and other platforms rank your show a little bit differently. And so they, they weight the algorithm differently based on how new the RSS feed is and the traffic coming into the RSS feed. At least that's how it was at the time and that's how we understood it to, to work. And so... Um, at first we had a ton of promotion on like, you know, totally organic. I didn't have a ton of money at the time, uh, promotion, just trying to get people to listen to the show. And so we got up onto the top charts, but we were there for like five days, but it was enough for me to be able to like screenshot it for social proof. When I was reaching out to high caliber guests, or whatever, just yep. be like, to be like, Hey, you may not have heard of us, but we're at least taking this seriously. Like we launched and we're on the top charts from nothing, blah, blah, blah. But then it took us like a year, year and a half to get back onto the top charts after we exited after the first like week. And I think that's when, because just from what I know about podcast data now, essentially what a lot of people do, like PR firms and stuff, if they're looking for a book tour for one of their clients, they go to certain categories, they download all the data from the top charts, and they reach out to the emails associated with those RSS feeds. So when I got back onto the top charts, um, and, and then and then my show had a bunch of credibility from the people I was interviewing, uh, we started kind of noticing that a lot more people started reaching out to us. Super cool, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the caliber of your guest, and it's been super cool because, you know, we met three, four years ago in a completely different space. I'm not even sure if you were doing your podcast that maybe just getting started, um, but to just, you know, kind of see you from afar and, you know, see you on your, your you know, on, on social media and just continue to see these high caliber guests. It's like, whoa, like, how is this dude pulling it off to your point, right? Yeah. It's not like you're running a billion dollar business to, right. you know, attract a Shaq type character onto your show. Right. I guess what, if you could break down, you know, a quick one, two, three, or, you know, steps to success in terms of, you know, getting your podcast started and then scaling it, what yeah. formula would you, you know, recommend? Yeah. The, the very first thing is commitment and consistency. Cause it's just like, if, if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have that from the beginning, it's going to be really difficult during the times where you're kind of questioning, like, why am I doing this again? Like, well, this isn't really like, you know, moving the needle for me as much as I thought it was going to. And so at the very beginning I had like committed to releasing consistent content for at least 24 months. Is that no like a show what. a week, two shows a week? For me, it was three a week. Three a week. I was doing three episodes a week and they were all interviews. So, um, and I was doing that in addition to door to door. So that was, I think when we met, I had just started my show, um, and just moved to Vegas and I was still doing door to door to like kind of pay the bills, but I really was trying to figure out how to make my show work. Sure. And, uh, and so, yeah, commitment to consistency, cons consistency is like the very first thing. Cause the number one killer of shows is lack of consistency. Um, even if you have a, a big audience or even if you are a big name, it doesn't matter. You have to like remain consistent. Um, so and that, sorry to cut you off. Is, do you, is that more for the algorithm? Is that more just to, you know, attract and keep fan base? What, yes what, what is yes. that consistency based? Yeah. Yes. And yes, both, you know, like the, they, the, they want to continue showing your content to your listeners and your listeners want to continue consuming content from you because podcast listenership is different that like you can follow, you know, 1500 people on Instagram and still feel like you're relatively staying in contact with a fair portion of those people. Um, with podcasts, like if you're listening to podcasts a bunch, you listen to like six to eight in your total lineup. Mm -hmm. And so you have to fight to stay in that lineup. And if you are not releasing episodes consistently, uh, then, uh, then you have a much higher tendency of being replaced in those listeners lineups. They're just going to find another show that they like that does put out consistent content. Um, and so like you, you, you just can't, you can't bounce around, you know, like people have to come to trust that you're going to have an episode for them when they want to have an episode to listen to. 
So that's like, that's like the very kind of barrier to entry. Very first thing is like commitment to, to, to consistency. And really if I was to throw another thing in there, what I always told people from the beginning was like consistent quality content with context is what will win over a long period of time. Context, meaning you're putting it right in front of the right people. You're doing it consistently and it's high quality. Like you're actually putting thought and, and detail into like a lot of people start a podcast. I'm like, stop starting a podcast and start a show. Like start a show. Think about like, think about Jimmy Fallon. Think about Oprah. Think about all these shows that are massive that, that millions of people tune into every week. Think about how much work and thought and detail goes into every single one of their episodes. Like don't just expect to, don't expect to be Joe Rogan. Don't expect to just turn on the mic, bullshit with your friends for an hour and a half or three and a half hours or five hours, like some of his episodes, and then just like release it and watch it explode overnight. Like do not expect to do that. You have to like turn it into, turn it into a real show. Um, and so uh, that's what I mean by quality is just like think about, like think about your audience, think about what they want to hear, try to entertain and add value at the same time. Like how can we turn this into something that is actually something that I would tune into if I were my ideal listener? Um, so consistent quality content with context is kind of like the main thing. And you got to commit to doing that for a certain period of time. After that, it's really a function of how much money you have in your bank account <laughs> because uh, like the real answer to podcast growth is marketing mm. the show. Um, and, and it, I mean, in, in any marketing context, the whole game is figuring out how much money can I spend without losing my ass completely on this, right? Like that, that's kind of the whole game is like, if I spend money right now to acquire this customer, how long is it going to take of them paying me before I make the money back that it took for me to acquire them and then some, sure. right? So in podcasting, it's the same equation. It's just going to be a little bit longer time period because it's going to cost you, you know, multiple dollars per subscriber. But if you do the math on what sponsorships and things like that are willing to pay you, it's not multiple dollars per subscriber. So you have to be willing to say goodbye to money for six months, eight months, nine months, especially when you're first starting, because when you're first starting, you got to get to like a certain threshold before anybody's going to spend any money sponsoring your show. Oh. So at the very beginning, it's like, you got to be willing to spend, you know, a decent amount of money just to get up to the point where you can start monetizing. And then after you start monetizing, then you can have a little bit, at least more predictability around it where it's like, okay, I know we're making whatever, $5,000 a month on this through sponsorship revenue now. So if we spend $5,000 a month on getting more uh, listeners, you know, how much more, how many more listeners are we going to be able to get at that like rate of spend? And how quickly does that allow us to increase our sponsorship revenue and then figure out whatever equation you're okay with? You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you know, some, some people like you look at someone like a Reed Hoffman, I don't know how much money he spent on his podcast launch, but it was a ton. Mm. He just exited LinkedIn for a billion dollars though. So it didn't really matter for him. He could have, you know, dropped $10 million in marketing on it and had it not work that well. And he still would have been like, man, whatever, you know what I mean? So, um, he started masters of scale and it, blew up and the podcast is massive. Um, and he also has the credibility of being Reed Hoffman behind it, which is insanely helpful as well. But uh, my point is like, he had really deep pockets to market the show. Sure. And so it did well right out of the gate. <clears throat> so the question then becomes like, okay, if I, if I'm only making $5,000 a month, am I okay spending $10,000 a month in marketing where I'm losing $5,000 every month, but I'm more, I'm able to more aggressively grow my audience. And how long will it take me to like, to make up that difference? 
between the 5,000 I'm making now and the 10,000 that I'm spending. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you can do that, that's why I say the commitment to consistency and quality is the most important thing, because if you can just focus on that for five years and then you have this kind of like, you know, flywheel happening in the background where you're just continually spending money and spending money and spending money. Then you make some, you spend it, you make some, you spend it, you make some, you spend it. Um, then it's up to you how much you want to do that until you're not wanting to spend money anymore. And you actually want to take profit and make that your, your thing. Um, for a lot of people, that number would be a lot smaller than it would be for probably either me or you. Uh, but that there, there's a number for everybody. You know, somebody listening to this right now might be like $5,000 a month. <laughs> like sign me up. I'm yeah. done. You know, I'll, quit right now, 5,000 bucks a month, you know, for you, it's like 5,000 bucks a month. Okay. That's kind of, you know, that's cute. You know, it's like, well, how, how do we take this to a hundred thousand dollars a month in just pure passive sponsorship revenue? Um, because then that would allow me to be able to step aside and like be able to do this a little bit more full time or focus on it a little bit more effectively or whatever. So you got to come up with the numbers that you want and then you got to be willing to like invest to get there. And that's the big problem is that whenever I tell people that piece of advice, it's never the advice they want to hear. You know, it's like, well, there's got to be this thing or that secret, or I can get on this, these charts or do this thing or that thing. And it's like, you can do a ton of other things. Don't get me wrong. It's not the only way to grow a show, but it's the only way to predictably and repeatedly, repeatedly grow a show in a way that's actually going to have impact on your numbers. Um, that, and then getting booked on other podcasts, um, you know, barring any sort of, uh, just like uh, intangible viral moments that come from social media or, you know, big uh, media mention that you can't really engineer. You know, there's, um, my point is like, there's a lot of ways to grow that might not involve that. But like I said, predictably, repeatably, like, yeah, you're going to want to, you're going to want to have a budget. And is there a point where you made that realization or is there a point that you would advise people? Is it after, you know, X amount of shows or X amount of traction where then they should start, you know, turning up the marketing machine or is it start off the, if you can afford it and you have the resources? Cause I'd imagine most people listening to this like myself is they want to start a podcast part-time to one um, leverage that networking aspect that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And two, obviously <laughs> to create some type of recurring income long-term to hopefully exit them out of whatever they're doing for their active income. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a certain point where people should start kind of turning that marketing machine on, or is it just kind of depend on where they're at, where their finances at and what their goals are? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's going to depend for every single person listening to this. My overarching advice would be as soon as you start the show, start marketing it, but just start with a smaller budget, you know, start whatever you want to do. 500 bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month, you know, start with something to, to get used to the idea of marketing the show. Um, but then you can turn up the heat whenever you want to turn up the heat. And like I said, that's going to be just based on how much money do you have, how much money you're comfortable losing until you make it back and how much money can you make once you start making it. Mm. So that's just, that's going to be obviously wildly different for everybody. And where do people find a, a marketing company? I know that's something that you guys do um, with your company. Can you yeah. elaborate a little bit about that process? And if people are interested, like myself, it's definitely something that I want to start looking into as the show starts to grow. Yeah. And as I start to get consistent content out there to definitely start, you know, the monetization aspect. So there are a lot of individual companies that will do it for you. Like that, that's why we have an agency because we have relationships with, you know, a dozen different companies that we use as kind of vendors based on that particular person that we're working with, the type of show that they have, the type of listeners that they want. And then we go out to these kind of like ad networks and we kind of represent our clients and manage their spend for them. Um, but if you're just trying to do it yourself, I mean, yeah, the, uh, like just literally Google buy podcast ads 
And, you know, there's several marketplaces, there's several different software tools, there's several um, kind of big scale agencies. Uh, the only problem is like with a lot of the agencies is that you have to have a minimum spend. So if you're, you know, uh, if you're talking about $100 a month or $500 a month, like up giant platforms, you know, an agency is not going to manage your spend for you. But you can go spend it on the platform, though, probably, you know, like if you just go to Red Circle or you go to AdvertiseCast or some of these other ones, uh, maybe Gumball, you might be able to find some ad spots and just buy them yourself and see what that does to your audience growth. You know, like you can go to Overcast and buy ads on their um, on their uh, media player at Overcast.fm. You can go buy ads there. They're pretty expensive, like dollars per subscriber for especially in the business and education categories and some of the more like coveted, you know, listener spaces, but you can do it. And like I said, to me, it's just better to start to start doing it and get used to marketing it. Um, like if you don't have any money, just try the organic ways first. You know, see if you can take yourself from 23 downloads an episode to 500 downloads an episode just by like organically spreading the word, you know, going into Facebook groups and and going to events and literally like recruiting your first 50 listeners. Like that's the way that I grew my first my, my show. First of all, I didn't know that it was possible to pay money to advertise a podcast at the time. It really wasn't. Like they're just, it was not as um, um, uh, well known or dialed in as it is now. Um, so, so I, I did very organic from the beginning, and we got up to you know five thousand downloads an episode, uh, pretty organically, just from like continuous effort over a two three year period of time, and uh, and then you know you can always grow from there and start spending more money if you can actually start monetizing your show. Is there a minimum <clears throat> amount of viewers um, or or? subscribers um that you've seen uh to start getting hit up for ad revenue yeah so tech like when i started it was a lot more like hard line in the sand at around ten thousand downloads an episode because the majority of people that were doing it were agencies unless you went and like built the advertiser relationships yourselves which you can absolutely do um, it's just a little bit more difficult if you don't have any of the contacts. And so if you're first starting out, you know, it's definitely something that you can, you can try to just like cold email companies within your space that have, uh, you know, that, that their ideal customer or client matches up with your ideal listener. Um, and if you, you can go find them and pitch them yourself separately and, and, you know, try to try to do that at any point. Uh, but really like, to me, it's like, if you don't have at least a thousand downloads an episode, it's just, it's going to be difficult. And again, this is so relative. It's going to be difficult to make any meaningful money. Um, and like I said, I, I know that's, I realize that that is relative and subjective to the person listening. Cause I might look at it and go like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my time for 1200 bucks a month or whatever. But somebody else might be like, if I can make $1,200 a month on a podcast, like that would be a dream come true. You know? So if it, it's very, it, it definitely varies, but you're going to, you're going to want to have like into the thousands of downloads per episode. If you want to make any like significant revenue or income from it. Totally. So guys, for everyone listening, step one, consistent quality action. You can definitely start a podcast part time as you're working your full-time sales job or, you know, whatever you're doing to make income and just be consistent with it. You know, like Travis said, you know, you could pick up some of the gear for, you know, two, three, four, five hundred bucks. If you're not doing the visual aspect of it, start getting consistent, leverage the networking component of podcast. And by doing that, you could, you know, look up maybe if you have some extra money, hit up Travis, get some some agency going and, you know, start getting that passive income going. Travis, was there a guest um, whether it was someone you looked up to for a while or someone that you've known about that you either reached out to or that reached out to you that you're like, holy shit, like this thing is actually starting to work. 
Uh, the, the, the first one that I realized it. Yeah. The very first one that I realized it on was with Grant Cardone, just because I was, when, when I was in door to door, you know, like he, he was, he was the, the sales guy. So I've consumed a good amount of his podcast content, his books and things like that. I studied his materials, the, you know, closer survival guide and different things like that from Grant when I was doing door to door. And, uh, so him and like Gary V and a couple other people were the people that I started following when I first started like getting into any sort of personal development world. And, uh, so, so he was one of those people that was just like, it seemed like he was so far away from anything that I could attain or any person that I could talk to. And he was the, like one of the very first big guests that I got that I was like, that's like, it's like, I'm sitting down and I, I got to record it in studio, like in Miami, um, with him in person. And I think that was the first like live, like studio in studio interview that I ever did. I think almost positive. All of my other ones were on um, zoom or Skype leading up to that. And, uh, and so, and that, that'll, that'll tell you when I started my podcast back when Skype was still a part of the conversation before zoom completely took over video. Um, but yeah, Pre coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. So how you Skype at first. And then I think that was my first one, but yeah. So, so Grant was like the very first one where I was like, if this is possible, what else is possible? You know what I'm saying? And how did you land Grant? Was it, cause I know, you know, Grant charges $10,000 for an hour on a phone call. Was that, is it just through connections and or that's, a, that's an old number that you just said $10,000 for an hour with grant would be like, I'm almost a hundred percent sure it's at least a hundred grand for an hour at this point. 10 X it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. But li- literally though, I think that is the actual number now is a hundred grand. Cause I have a couple friends who've done it. I think it's a hundred grand for an hour. I but, believe it. But yeah, but you know, to your point, I got it for free because I had a podcast, you know? And so the, the way that I got grant was, and this, like I said, I, 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 I like going into this sometimes because I think that people watching or listening to this can at least relate to my story in a certain way, because I, like what we've been talking about, I wasn't a massive celebrity. I wasn't a massive influencer. I didn't have a multi-million, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a multi-million dollar business or a, like a best-selling book. I was just a guy that was doing door-to-door sales that started a podcast. That's it. Like zero special things about me, no existing network, not deep pockets, like none of those other things. But I uh, was able to basically, what I tell people is like, you got to infiltrate the inner circle if you want to like really get in touch with somebody is it's, it's all about the people that surround them. It's not about that person because everybody's trying to get in touch with the person. So how do you get in touch with the people around the person? And I uh, started, so, so that when I first started, I reached out cold on Instagram, hadn't even launched my show yet. And, uh, he ignored me, which, you know, rightfully so. Makes sense. And, um, and so from there I started basically knocking off people that I knew that he knew people that he was interviewing on his show, people that he was going to have speak at 10 X growth con, you know, different people like that. So the second time that I reached out to him, this was, my show was still like three, 400 downloads an episode. It was not a big show by any stretch of the imagination, but I had figured out how to get some really good people on who I knew were in his inner circle. So when I reached out the second time, the only difference in the reach out was that I listed off about a dozen names like Bradley and Ed Milet and Elena Cardone and Jared, his VP at the time. Now is now he's the president um, of Cardone Enterprises. And then um, like Lori Harder and Carrie Kasem, all these people that I knew were speaking on his stage that I knew that he knew, like trusted or had done business with in some context, um, uh, some other context. And I listed all of them off in the, in the reach out message. 
And when, and then he saw that one and he got back to me and said, and I, and I also told him that I was going to be in Miami like the next week. Um, and so I was like, when I'm in Miami, let's see if we can get this done. And he was like, yeah, come through, see us. Here's, and he gave me his assistant's number to text her and work out the details. And that was it. So I booked my flight to Miami <laughs> right after that. Cause I definitely was not already going to be there. I was just, you know, trying to make it seem as easy as possible for him to say yes uh, to the interview and, uh, yeah, flew out and made it happen like within like five days of that message. That's insane, man. And I imagine, you know, when you get a whale like that, then everything just becomes that much easier because then you have that credibility, that guess where you can leverage for people that are super high quality guests and, and individuals in their respected fields, but probably look up to someone like Grant Absolutely. Cardone. And by association, they're like, oh, well, if Travis had him on his show, like, of course I would love to be on your show. I call them the anchor guests. It's the ones that everybody wants to draw up to. They want to like, they want to pull themselves up to that level. They want to be perceived as the same level of those people. And so if you go get some of these like big anchor guests, then that's where the perception of your show is anchored. So anybody that's like below that level, quote unquote, currently, it's much, much, much easier for them to say yes to it because they want to be perceived as above where they are. That makes sense. So it's just like, if you can get a few of those, that, that, and that's one of the reasons I love Guestia, which is obviously like really biased to me. It's that, you know, app that we built, but it's like a cameo. But instead of booking a 30 second happy birthday shout out, you can pay somebody that's a big name to come on your podcast or your, you know, YouTube channel, your Instagram, whatever. And uh, so we have a lot of people in there that can act as those anchor guests. And it's like, yeah, but I have to pay for them. It's like, okay, well, if you were going to put together an event and you were going to get a speaker lineup, you're going to have to pay for speakers. Like they don't just do stuff for free. You have to pay for people's time if they've earned the right to charge for their time. And so on Guestio, you can go book some of those anchor guests. You know, like, like I said, I'm not under the guise that everybody needs to pay for every guest. You know, I've, you know, I've, we've done over 800 episodes of the show. I could count on one hand, hand how many people I've actually paid to come on my show. Um, but the people that I pay to come on my show make it way easier to go get other people who I want to get on my show who aren't at the level of the people that I paid to be on my show. That makes sense. So um, at the time I was just earning every single anchor guest, like, but it would take me months at a time to be able to get them on. Um, but every time you get another one, it's like, again, it makes it just way easier. So now it's at the point where it's like, if I'm reaching out to somebody, I literally just go to their Instagram profile and I see who they follow. And then I list out every single person who I've had on my show, who I know that they follow. Um, even if it's like 19 people, it's like, I don't care. I'm listening out, I'm listening out like all of them as many as I can just to be like the, the idea is you want to make it as easy as possible for that person to say yes during the time they're reading the message where they don't have to do any additional research. Anytime that you like reach out to somebody who has, whose time is scarce, if you give them more things to do with their time, they're way less likely to do the thing that you're asking them to do. And so you have to be respectful enough of their time to know, I don't need to put a book in here. I just need to give them the relevant information that they need to be able to make a decision without having to go to Google or to my website or look up anything else further on me. If they, like when Grant saw that reach out and saw like Elena was on my show and Brad was on my show and Ed was on my show and all these other people were on my show, he didn't have to sit there and think like, is this guy worth spending time with? He was like, oh, if all of these people have already spent time with this guy, then he's probably somebody worth spending time with and we can just go ahead and move forward to the next step. You know what I'm saying? So you just have to take out all of the guesswork uh, for them, uh, for them when they're deciding whether or not they want to take advantage of the opportunity. Classic door to door. Yeah. A bunch of the neighbors. Yeah, it's the Jones effect. bro. Jones effect. Yeah. 
Travis, uh, obviously you've been able to build a massive, um, you know, podcast and, and following in your own personal experience on the journey. Do you feel like you've gotten more value from the monetization aspect of it or the networking aspect of it? Definitely the networking aspect of it, because that's what led to like the higher points of monetization for me. Um, because like our show's never been massive in terms of like, we've never gotten a hundred thousand downloads an episode type of a thing. So like our sponsorship revenue has always been relatively low and really kind of unimportant for us. Um, we kind of built our own products and services and monetized through like starting masterminds for podcast listeners and um, doing coaching and things for podcast listeners and stuff like that, which led to building out the software product that we have, which led to the agency that we have, uh, which are, you know, seven figure companies and things like that. So all the, the majority of the money that I've made doing it have been through opportunities and relationships that have been cultivated as a result of the podcast, um, not just through sponsorship revenue. However, I will say that in 2023, our goal is to start focusing a lot more on sponsorship revenue. So um, that ask me that again in a year from now, and I hope for it to be a completely different answer. I hope so too, man. Let's pivot a little bit. We've, we've gone down some best practices, masterclass in starting a podcast, monetization, things that you should be doing, best practices. But I know the reason that you're in the position you are today is a lot of those tactics and skills, but it's also your mindset, your beliefs, your entrepreneur spirit, the things that you had to get to to become the person you are today. And as a byproduct of hosting a badass podcast, you get to host and conversate and get to pick the brains of some of the most elite people in business, health, in the country. What would you say is some of the common characteristics or biggest takeaways of the guests that you've had on your show? Um, that's a good question, man. I come back to some of these like really underrated topics, like the ability to delay gratification. You know, like that's one of those big common denominators that does not get near enough attention. It seems like anybody who's achieved like a, a disproportionate amount of success, right? Because I've had a lot of like, you know, quote unquote, successful people that are like more like me where like, yeah, I, yeah, I run a seven figure business and stuff like that. But like the difference between my level of success and, and Shaq, yeah. And Shaq is vastly different. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So there's a large Canyon between us. Um, and so, so the, the people that I've talked to that have had that disproportionate level, like probably the top 10% of people that I've interviewed, um, delayed gratification is always a piece of the puzzle. How long can you put off your current desires for a better future version of yourself. Um, and I, I think that, I think that's super underrated. Uh, one thing that I've noticed and one thing that Guy Raz talks about a lot, who's the, the host of how I built this. He also wrote a book called how I built this. It's kind of like his learnings of all the top level CEOs he's talked to is the ability to handle rejection, the ability to face and handle rejection and continue moving on to the next, the next, um, the next opportunity without losing in that enthusiasm from the previous rejection. Um, so that's, that's another big, one of those kind of intangibles that's, that's like, you know, uh, difficult to kind of put your finger on. But when you look at the, the massively successful people, they all, they all typically have those things in common. So yeah, delayed gratification, um, a high sense of personal responsibility, you know, like they don't, they don't blame you know, a lot of other things for their, 
lack of success or for their success. They take ownership and responsibility for everything that happens, regardless of what they view if it was intrinsically their fault or not. doesn't matter. It's their responsibility. And so, you know, they tend to focus on things they can control instead of focusing on things that they can't control. They tend to uh, have more personal responsibility. They tend to delay gratification. They tend to be really good at overcoming and handling rejection. Like these are some of those things that, like I said, they're not they're more like those soft skills that you don't really, that aren't really talked about a lot, but are absolutely important and necessary. Um, if you're going to achieve those, like I said, that disproportionate level of success. Totally. It's crazy. Those three are three big ones, but when you think about it, it's like that stuff that most entrepreneurs, you know, they, they learn pretty early when you, you know, in their entrepreneur journey as they go through personal development. So it's interesting to me how you've been able to, you know, interview and spend time with some of these super high caliber people, Grant Cardone, Shaq, I think you're on Tim, Tim, uh, Tom Bilyeu, um, you know, all these ultra elite people and a lot of the common denominators that, you know, make them successful are stuff that intrinsically most people know if they're on this journey of entrepreneurship and in the 21st century of the information age. Totally. Do you think it's just, they're executing that on a higher level? Do you Absolutely. think it's just their identity? Absolutely. No, it just comes down to execution. Because like you said, it's not a, that's what I love about those common denominators. Anybody can do them. That, that That's not a, a qualification of they were born rich or their their dad just knew everybody. So they got all these, you know, spoon fed these opportunities. The people who I've talked to that have the most disproportionate success, none of them come from money. They all worked for everything that they've ever had. And that to me is the beautiful part. And that's one of the coolest parts to me about starting my show too, is it like opened up this world where I was just like, you, you just automatically assume. And, and it's kind of, it's beat into us by our parents. It's beat into us by culture, by society. Like think about any show that you watch with a rich person in it. They're always the villain. There's not like any show on television that looks at a rich person and, and, and like actually paints them to be like an ethical person with strong morals and high values. They tend to be just like the evil villain of of the show, even if they're the protagonist. Like in Billions, I don't know if you watch Billions, but like the the main guy in that show, uh, who used to be the main guy in that show, was somebody that's like still the protagonist and still somebody that you root for. But they still have this like, yeah, but he became this way because he was willing to like do this and deceive that person and lie and steal and cheat type of a thing. And it's just like my experience has been such the opposite. Uh, is that like the most successful and richest people that I've talked to have been like the most abundant, the most valuable, the most value creating people that I've ever talked to. And, and so we have this idea that if somebody has a bunch of money, it's because they're doing stuff that's either like not above board or they're doing stuff that is just like something that I could never do. I could never do that. Like, Oh, I, I can, I can never be that person. And that might be the case with somebody like a Shaq or a LeBron James or something like that, where it's just like, well, yeah, the dude was born seven foot one, you know, not born seven foot one, but yeah, like, like that's genetic side. There's nothing I can do to be that. Um, but what he did after the NBA, anybody can do that. You know what I mean? Like it, what, 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 um, what Graham was able to do, anybody can do that in terms of like, you don't need to be this special individual with a super high Q that went to Ivy league schools and like normal people can become extraordinary if you're just willing to do the things that most people aren't willing to do. It's not a matter of if you can do them. It's a matter of if you're willing to do them and for what period of time. 
And that last factor is like the point that people, I think a lot of people give up because like at first it sounds awesome. It's like, well, of course I want to create abundance in my life. Of course I want to buy a, buy a private jet. Of course I want to be able to get an island or some, you know, some shit like that. Like, of course I want those things. So they, they take the micro actions that it takes to get started. And then once they realize how difficult it is, they bounce. They either bounce because they let that control the narrative of them believing in themselves. Like, you know, it, well, it got hard and I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And so I'm just not capable of this. And they like their, their, their limiting beliefs get, you know, supported by evidence in front of them. And then they let that take over and then they just shrink back into the thermostat setting of whatever it was before, or they get to that point and they, uh, push through and like the people who push through, you know, are obviously the people who can like, it's just, uh, can you do that? Can you experience that pain? Can you delay that gratification for a long enough time horizon to be able to experience the benefits on the other side? Um, and most people are not willing to do that. Uh, and so you just have to ask yourself that question. Am I like, what is my will to win for sale? And at what point will I give up? You know, is it a matter of time? Is it a matter of, of pain in my life? Is it, a, is it this relationship leaving me? Is it not making this much money by X date? Like, what is it, what is it going to be that's going to get to the point where it just like makes me quit? And am I willing, like, is there something that can get me to that point? And I think the people that are the most wildly successful are people who never had that point. They never, like, there was nothing that could have happened in their life to bump them off the path that they were committed to being on. Um, and ultimately that's like, that's the big difference. It's like failure isn't failure, isn't failure unless you quit. And a lot of people, a lot of people quit and that's when it becomes failure. Man, guys, that was valuable. I can agree more, man. And this is the stuff that fires me up. And, and I think another benefit of podcasting and, and just sitting here and listening to you is obviously you get your networking aspect, um, you know, to leverage and, you know, the monetization, but, the fact that you're able to spend time around these high caliber individuals and, you know, to your point, unconsciously, you're raising your belief level of what you believe is possible for your own life and the people around you. Because if you're sitting here with the 0.01% yep. of the world and you're realizing that these people aren't any better than you, they're not doing anything drastically different. They're just right. doing the things that you know you should be doing, but maybe aren't doing as consistent or as intense as them. And by doing that, you're taking them off of the pedestal and it's unconsciously right. raising your belief in your identity of what you're capable of your life. You know, the thing I talk to salespeople a lot about when I do trainings is like, you can't put successful people on a pedestal. I remember when I first got into entrepreneurship, network marketing, yeah. and you know, I was 22 years old and you know, I got on a Skype call with this dude making $30,000 a month. And instantly after that, you know, meeting him and stuff, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I could speak as good as he can. I don't know if, you know, I, I read as much books. And the issue is you put these people on a pedestal and it creates that level of separation that mm -hmm. you can't accomplish that. Therefore, you know, attitude drives behavior. If you're if you're not able to accomplish it, why would I even try to accomplish it in the first place? Yeah. And then fast forward, you know, a long enough time horizon, seven years, that same person who I used to look up to and put on a pedestal, I've done four or five laps around over a consistent <laughs> amount of time. Yeah. And if I allowed myself to continue to put these successful people on a pedestal because I wasn't associated with them or I didn't put myself in enough situations to, you know, see what I'm made of, I probably wouldn't be in the position I'm at because why try if I don't believe I can accomplish it? Mm -hmm. So I think podcasting is such a cool thing because most of the time I feel like on a podcast, your hosts are, you know, maybe 
better than you at a certain topic, whether it's business or, you know, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And unconsciously you're raising your, your own self-image and identity by spending time with those individuals. Absolutely, dude. I mean, it's a really great point because, um, yeah, like one of those kind of hidden benefits of podcasting is definitely that piece. Uh, because you get to spend like when, when, when you, when, when you start looking at your situation, we all have reasons to believe that we can't do something big. Every single one of us. Um, for me, it's like the deep seated religious background that I come from. It's like, like the, if you just look at the evidence, you know, it's just like the sheer statistical, like the sheer statistic, the number of people who have come from the position that I grew up in that have made it big and doing the thing that I want to do is very, very, very low. But that isn't a statistic like the same thing as drawing the winning lottery ticket is a, is a statistic. Like I can actually do something about this, you know, this, this stat. And so when I sit down and talk to a Bedros Koulian who immigrated from Syria or Ar Armenia, I think actually, and was literally having his parents like prop him up into dumpsters so that he could find pieces of food and clothes for them to wear and he got made fun of and he got abused by a uh, uh, authority figure in his life literally and then I see that same person build a nine-figure gym franchise company as one of his companies make millions of dollars coaching other business owners and taking equity in positions and doing masterminds and all this other stuff created a life of insane abundance from that background. It's like, well, what, I mean, what am I, what am I bitching about? You know what I'm saying? Like you see a Patrick, but David literally come from war torn Syria and Iran and come to America, not speaking the language when he's a kid and like selling t-shirts on the corner of sketchy areas in Northridge, you know what I mean? And then all this, and then he goes into the financial space and, and starts working for this like financial firm and just learns selling and then creates his own insurance company and then sells it when he's 40 for multi nine figures. Like the dude's sitting on like a half a billion or like at least two, 300 million in cash right now on top of the media empire that is valuetainment that's continuing to grow and expand. He was interviewed on Joe Rogan recently. Like he's growing his brand, his personal brand. He makes so much money, has so much deal flow and that's how he started. And I'm whining because of what? Because I didn't get to go to Harvard. Like because I didn't have the opportunity that maybe other kids in this country had opportunity to like do like it just, like you said, it just, it, it, it starts removing excuses that you've historically allowed yourself to fall back on. Um, when you, when you like have these experiences talking to people like this. And I think that's the beauty about, you know, the world we live in the 21st century information age is like we have access, you know, most people don't have access to interview them for 45 minutes by themselves in you know, their house or your studio or whatever, but they could hop on YouTube, which is completely free. And it takes them 30 seconds and type in that interview and get, you know, that same level of content and that same level of inspiration yep. in order to go make a change in their life for free. For free. Yeah. Why do you think most people don't utilize it, man? Why do you think most people are still average and, and you know, complaining and a victim when there's so much information out there that you're producing that, you know, so many creators are, but they're just not using it in their benefit? It comes back down to the responsibility thing for me, man. And that's why it's like, that's one of my core values in my life is just radical responsibility because I, I, I never tell anybody that they have to have the same goals as I have. 
But if you do have the same goals that I have, and then you don't follow up or act in the same level of action, then you can't be upset when you don't get the results. And you can't blame it on all these other external circumstances either. Because like, that's just not a factor. It might be a, it might be a factor, but it's not going to be a big enough factor to prevent you from succeeding if you want it bad enough, is my point. And so I, I think I think people are, are just actively avoiding responsibility or passively avoiding responsibility, which is actually worse because those people think that they're taking responsibility. But then if you really dissect it, there's just cognitive dissonance that doesn't allow them to see their own lack of responsibility because it feels so much better to blame things. It feels so much better to look at somebody else's success. Like it feels so much better to look at like the hedge fund kid who grew up in the house of like, you know, whatever, a dentist and was very affluent, grew up in rich areas. And like their first car was a BMW in high school. And then they got into the Ivy league school and they got their MBA from Harvard. And then they worked on wall street for nine years. And now they're a partner at a firm and they have this big house. You know what I'm saying? Like it's easy to look at somebody like that and go like, well, they just had so much opportunity that I never had. That's the obvious reason for the like clear difference in our socioeconomic status and our like money in our bank account and the cars we drive, et cetera, et cetera. Like the clear reason is for that. But then it's really difficult when you start looking at other people that came from way worse situations, environments than you came from. And then you all of a sudden have to come up with a reason why you're not, why you're not as successful as they are. That's the difficult one to bridge. And so like people just start internalizing the, the problems in their life or the obstacles that they run into. And then they, that they start assigning these problems to these like exterior circumstances that they have no control over. And it makes them feel better about why they haven't gotten where they want to go. It makes them feel better about why they haven't quit their job yet. Well, because I have this thing and that thing and you know, they, they don't know what it's like to do this and this. And they, they, if I were them, I would of course be able to do it like the way that they did it. But you know, I'm me, so I can't do it that way. And it's just like they 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 get in their own mind, feed themselves whatever uh, whatever bullshit allows them to be able to bypass any sort of responsibility in their life and blame their lack of success or 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 their abundance of poor circumstances on anything or anyone else besides themselves. Um, and and as long as you continue to do that, as long as you continue to skirt responsibility, and as long as you continue to feed the negative thoughts in your mind and get around other people who continue to feed those negative thoughts, you're you're just you're gonna you're gonna be stuck. And so most people, like I think I think that's why I always recommend an environment shakeup for most people. It's like if you're stuck, if you've been like feeling stuck for a while, probably the best thing that you can do is do something drastic to like shock your system into thinking about thinking a certain way or doing something different. It's like everybody agrees that your environment is what shapes you. There's not a person I've ever talked to on my show that has like never has not agreed with that statement. Like your environment shapes, your environment turns you into the version of the person that you're going to become. What nobody talks about is that you shape your environment. So ultimately you shape you. If you can shape your environment and your environment shapes you, then you're the one that's in control of who you will become. So you don't have to ask yourself, you know, like, what do I want to do? You want to ask yourself, who do I want to become and who do I need to get around that will help me become that version of me? You know what I'm saying? Like, do your friends actively support your dreams or do they actively trash your dreams? 
Do your friends drag you down? Do they push you up? Do they recommend books that they're reading or do they want to just like get you to play video games from midnight to 7 a.m. so that you're too tired the next day to work on your dreams and goals? Like, are you just drinking and going to the bar and not doing anything productive when you're with those people? You know, like, do you live in an area, uh, even if it's like an actual physical area, like a city that sucks? Like, that's where I come from. I come from a city that sucks. So what did I do? I moved from the city and moved to Vegas without knowing anybody that lived in Vegas. Actually, I take that back. My brother-in-law lived here at the time. But we moved to Vegas like just on a whim because we're like, nothing happens here. I'm sick of being in an area where like nobody's doing anything. Nobody's pushing themselves forward. Companies aren't moving here. Jobs aren't growing. Like nothing's happening here. Why am I still here? Because I know that the future vision of where I want my life to be is does not line up with the way that everybody lives their life here. So what are the odds I'm going to be like the unicorn in the area and be the one that comes out of this community being like this? Probably not very high. Like, why would I shoot myself in the foot to see if I can walk? Let me just go somewhere where there is an environment where I can meet people, where they're up to big things. There are companies moving here. There's jobs happening. There's in, there's innovation. There's excitement. There's something happening going on here. Like, get me out of this crappy environment. Put me in this good environment. And then the good environment is what starts allowing you and, sh- and turning you and shaping you into the person that you can become. And then the person you become is the person that's capable of achieving those goals. It's like, well, I want this thing. And I want this thing. Like, what are the steps to go get that goal? It's like, no, no, no. What are the steps to become the person that's capable of achieving that goal? Because likely you are not. And that's the, like, people don't want to hear that. People want to hear the, like, people want to hear the message of like, everybody's special. Like, bro, bullshit. If everybody was special, nobody would be special. Being special is like, like by definition, not what everybody else is. You're not like odds are you're not special. Shaq. Yeah. He's special. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he was, he's seven feet tall. Like he of course has like a genetic advantage when it comes to playing basketball. Right? Like that's to me what like special is. But if you're listening to this right now, odds are you're not special. So like get over it and go make yourself special. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't vibe with the mentality of like, oh, everybody's, you know, you just, you're, you're so special and like, you're just so amazing. And it's just like, you're probably not like you're like, everybody's like, you're capable of doing whatever you want to do. And it's like, you are currently not capable of doing whatever you want to do. Future you might be capable of doing whatever you want to do, but guess what future you does? Future you doesn't hang out with the people that you're currently hanging out with. Future you doesn't spend your money on a bunch of dumb things that depreciate in value immediately. Future you does not get in credit card debt and make dumb financial decisions. Like future you focuses on how to earn more income. Future you focuses on reading books instead of watching Netflix. Future you like goes to the gym and doesn't just sit on your ass all day and just eat potato chips. Like future you stops drinking or like, you know what I'm saying? Like the current version of where you are is not capable of achieving the things that you've set out for yourself. And if you are, then you're not setting big enough goals. Mm. Man, you're firing me up. I couldn't agree more. And to your point, it's like everyone knows what they need to do. If I want to go get a six-pack, I know I need to go to the gym five to six times a week, probably hire a trainer. I can't eat carbs and sugar. I need to drink a lot of water. I need to drink, you know, do my supplements. Like intrinsically, everyone knows how to get to where they want to be, but they're not willing to sacrifice. They're not disciplined enough. I love that shifting your environment, man. For me, you know, like like yourself, right? You have to get out of an environment and come to a new environment to get new ideas, to just create a fresh start for yourself, to allow yourself to, 
you know, really assimilate into the new environment and, you know, recreate yourself. And for me, you know, I took a two year move away from Vegas. It was forced. The solar market got, you know, shut down in 2015, as you know about. But those two years um, in California, just those two years, it changed my life because it it made me a different person. It made me go into a vulnerable situation. It made me go to a new place that I've never been before, didn't know the market, had $2,000, $3,000 in my bank account, and literally put myself in a vulnerable situation where I was either going to die or make it happen. Yep. And the challenge with most people is they're not willing to put themselves in an uncomfortable situation long enough to see what they're made of in order to become that next version of themselves. Therefore, they stay stagnant they comply to fear of the unknown and therefore they never do anything big in their life, not because they're not capable or worthy, but because they're not willing to put themselves in a vulnerable situation to see what they're made of. Yeah. And there, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the stakes because like I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in like weighing risk to reward. And I think that most people view the risk as being greater than it actually is. You know what I'm saying? Like follow that through to conclusion. Like let's say that you do go to San Diego, solar market shut down, you move to a different state and it doesn't work out like the, like the way that it did end up working out for you. Like you took a risk and ended up working out. Well, what was the risk? The real risk to you? Like what you were what at the time? 20, 23, 23 at the time. Like, so you're 23 years old. You have two, you have 2000 bucks to your name. You don't have much to lose. Like pe people get this idea that like they're, they're risking everything. It's like you're only risking everything because society created this idea of what everything means, you know? And it's like, if, if, you, if your goal is to have a million dollars in your bank account and you're not willing to risk the $3,000 in your bank account right now, like good luck getting to a million. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my whole point is like, you're, 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 people assign way too much value to what they're told to assign value to, even though it doesn't hold any value in their lives. So like they, they want to hold on to like, well, I have $10,000 in my savings and that's like a good thing. It's like, yeah, positive. I'm, I'm glad that's awesome. But also if you want to have a million dollars in your bank account, it's going to be difficult to not risk that 10 grand at some point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, totally. If you want that, you're going to have to take some sort of an action and it's going to feel uncomfortable and you have to be okay with if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And it, it goes back to what you said, being a product of your environment. Chances are that person that's not willing to risk that $10,000 in order to make a million, probably somewhere along the line, they were raised in an environment where saving was valuable and money totally. was scarce and money doesn't grow on trees and you need to save for a rainy day. Right. And those negative programs that in their mind just seem like normal reality run ransom in their unconscious mind and make them make decisions that doesn't serve them as an adult. And they get into this cycle. And if you're not aware of that, and if you don't put a lot of intentional energy and work into reprogramming those minds and changing those viruses and turning them into productivity and abundance and, you know, faith over fear, you're going to not be super happy with where you end up in life. Right. Well, cause you keep listening to the same voices. It's remarkable to me how many people listen to people that don't have the results that they want in life. It's remarkable to me. And, and, and like, I, I get, I get the draw to it because you're typically listening to people who love you. You typically listen to the people in your life that are closest to you, your closest friends that have known you since you were six, that you party with and that you hang out with that are like ride or die friends. It's your it's your mom and dad. It's your grandparents. It's your aunts, uncles, cousins. It's your significant other. It's like somebody who loves you typically who's giving you advice like this. It's like, you, you've done so, such a good job. Like you graduated from college. Like take the job offer. Like don't be dumb. Don't chase this dream and this path. 
Like you have something stable in front of you, do that. And like they, they're doing it from this place of love because they don't want to see you struggle and, 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 and fail and lose the 10 grand in your savings account or whatever the case may be. But if that person telling you doesn't have the result that you want, you have to take their advice with a grain of salt and go, okay, thank you for that, you know, mom or dad, but you know, you've never had any money either. So like, why would I, like, why am I going to give all of this clout to the advice that you give me about having money when you've never had it? Or why am I going to give somebody clout for giving me advice on getting a six pack when they never had one? Like it just like, you don't have to be willing to trade every single aspect of your life for that person. But I always tell people like never take advice from somebody who you're not willing to trade places with in that area. Like if you don't want a business that looks like their business, then be careful about their advice. Just be careful about it. I don't say like, you know, ignore them or tell them to, you know, fuck off. Like, just be careful. Take it with a grain of salt. Like, think about it a little bit more thoughtfully. Like, if, if somebody's telling you how to go make a million dollars and they have 10 grand in their bank account, maybe get some advice from somebody who has a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like, I just, their, their advice is going to be totally different. Completely and totally different. And so if you never get yourself out of that environment where that's all you ever hear, then you're just gonna, you're gonna be that big fish in the small pond. Totally, you know, man. cause somebody's like, Oh, well, 10 grand, that's a lot. You know, it's like, well, if you think 10 grand is a lot, then you're hanging out with a bunch of people who don't have 10 grand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no way you to, to think $10,000 is a lot of money. Once you get around people who have real money, because it's like, Oh, actually 10 grand is like a month of expenses. Start thinking about money in terms of how much you need to live your life. Not about money in terms of like how many video games you can buy. You know what I mean? Like that's the real test of if you have any money or not. Yes, yeah, that survive to thrive shift, right? Most people, unfortunately, out there in society, they're just surviving. You know, they're making enough money to pay their bills. They're doing enough at work not to get fired. And they're just getting by because that's their paradigm. You know, most people's paradigm and most people's brain, is, as you know, you probably know, is we're conditioned to survive. Right? Yeah. We're conditioned, you know, from, uh, you know, thousands of years ago to protect ourselves from danger and threat. And since there's no more saber tigers anymore, right? The modern day threat is not being able to pay your bills. The modern day threat is caring about what society. The modern day threat is, oh, I'm not going to move and take that big opportunity, even though I probably shouldn't. I'll change my life because what if I fail? And what if my family thinks and my friend thinks and so on and so forth? And it's so unfortunate because if you allow that survival brain to run your life, you know, as we've been talking about, you're not going to receive any of the reward of taking risks, any of the reward of diving into the unknown and doing something big. And unfortunately, you're not able to get that level of deep challenge because human beings are made to go through adversity. I believe we're made yeah. to go through hard things. If you're not doing anything hard in your life, you know, chances are you're going to hard have a hard life. I forgot the quote. It says, if you do in life what is easy, your life's going to be hard. But if you do in life what is hard, your life's going to be easy. Most people are living a hard life that they can't pay their bills and they're unhealthy and they're not fulfilled and they hate their relationship because they chose the easy path. They chose the path of least resistance right. and they bought into what society told them they should be doing. Yeah, struggle's always going to find you. It's just a matter of if you chose it or not. You know what I'm saying? Like... Most of the struggle in my life is chosen struggle. It's like I have a lot of stress and anxiety because I decided to start a software startup as a non-technical founder with no co-founder. You know what I mean? Like that comes with anxiety and stress because 
you raise money and you build a software and you have multiple people depending on you for income and like they're living, then like, yeah, that's going to come with some difficult things and it's not easy to do. And it's not easy to like, uh, to, to, to solve a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve in that particular business, you know, but also I chose that. And like, every time I get in my own head about it, like, man, why did I do this? It's like, I chose this, like you chose this path and you did it for a reason. Remember why you did it. You know what I mean? Like, or I just take a job and I sit there and I do my job every day and I get my paycheck and then I leave and I come home. There's nothing like exciting or thrilling or fulfilling about it. I'm always, I'm always in the shadow of my own potential and I, you know, get depressed and like, you know, struggle that way. And then I start gaining weight because I'm depressed and I don't want to go to work and I don't have any money and I can't have any, and I don't have the freedom to quit because I need the money to be able to pay my bills and support my family and raise my kids. And it's like, well, now I'm stuck. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, I would way rather have the struggle that I choose rather than the struggle that just kind of is thrust upon me by my own decisions. 100% man. Choose your heart. Yes. Travis, do you have a favorite guest? Or one that stuck out the most? I mean, easily Shaq at this point. I used to like really struggle with that question. Um, and probably my second favorite guest would be a really difficult uh, 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 question to answer. But Shaq is easily the first, is easily the top one for me. Just and not because he's Shaq, not be, not just because he's Shaq. It's because he was like, like this is like childhood hero level for me. Like I had, I was a big basketball fan and played a lot of basketball. I had Shaq jerseys. I had Shaq bobbleheads. I had Shaq ba- uh, basketball cards like fucking plaques and pictures and just every, my room was covered in Shaq. Basically he was my favorite player by a long shot. So, um, I always want to talk to him about, you know, just cause I was a kid and I was a big fan. But then when I got into the business world, you know, it, it was like, we almost like grew up together in, in that sense. And ter- like, he's, you know, obviously a lot older than I am, but in, in terms of like when I was a kid, I, I, all I cared about was basketball and I watched him play basketball until I became an adult. And then when I became an adult, he was done playing basketball, but then he got into the business world. And as an adult, I liked the business world. And so I was a fan of him in business and still am. So it just kind of like kept carrying into, into adulthood with the things that I was a fan of from him, from him. So he, he was definitely a, a big one for me, um, uh, in, in all aspects because he is Shaq and everybody knows who he is, but also just just because like I was such a massive fan of him for so long. Do you think that moment changed you when either before the interview, when you found out you're getting the interview or after the interview? It, it was another one of those like grant moments where it was like, if this is possible, what else is, you know, like there's several moments like that in my life when I look back on and it's like every time you do something that you previously thought you were not capable of doing, it's just another like deposit in mm. your confidence and your ability to go do it again. Like, well, what else do I think that I can't do that I really want to do? And how do I do that? You know, like I always tell people now, it's like, assume it's impossible, sure. But ask yourself the question, if it were possible, what would you do to make it happen? Like, assume it's impossible. Like, oh, getting Shaq on my show, that's impossible. Okay, fine, it's impossible. But if it were possible, how would it be possible? What would I need to do to be able to go get him? You know, whatever it is, this income level, it's impossible. Okay, it's impossible, sure. But if it were possible, what would I need to do to make that type of money or get around this type of person or marry this type of person or date this type of person? Like what, like, okay, sure. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. It's impossible. But also if it were possible, <laughs> like 
what would it look like? Like no BS. What would it look like to actually make that happen? And then if you can answer that question, you can decide whether or not the work is something that you want to do. Cause there's been plenty of guests that I've had on my, that I've wanted to get on my show where I've been like, if it were possible, how would it happen? And I've thought through like the steps I would take to make it happen and gone like, nah, it's not worth it for that person. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that big of a deal to me. And I, and I, you know, alter the direction and go a different, go a different direction with it. But if you never do that exercise and you just assume everything's impossible, it's just like clearly, clearly not everything is impossible. Like if somebody else, if you're trying to get in touch with somebody and they have a pulse, it's possible to get in touch with them. Everybody does it on a daily basis. I don't care who they are. It's the president of of the country. People talk to him every day. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody in the world is possible to talk to. It's just a matter of, am I willing to like work hard enough to be able to put myself in the situation where I can connect with that person? You know, and like sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. And then you just go do that thing and don't let up until you achieve the result. No, 100%, man. That Shaq thing's big. You know, the reason the reason that came to mind is, you know, we're talking a lot about success and, you know, accomplishing big things. And for me, when I look back at my own life and my own career, a lot of the things that I thought at the time were impossible, maybe as a child for me, you know, buying my parents a house was always kind of like my chief aim, as Napoleon Hill talks about in my big why. And the moment I was able to accomplish that, it literally changed me because it it took something that I, one, desired so bad, two, visualized, three, worked for, but four, at one point, thought impossible and making it possible, it shifts you, I believe, indefinitely. And that notch in your belt creates a level of confidence and a level of certainty and being within you that I think is almost irreversible because when you accomplish something that you try so hard for, it creates that momentum and it changes you into a different version to allow you to continue that trajectory into wherever you want to go. And I feel like most people, and it doesn't need to be that big of a win. It doesn't need to be buy your parents a house or go interview Shaq. But those little wins that in the moment you think are out of reach or impossible, when you hit that and you start to stack that, then you're building momentum. Then you're starting to create a little bit of a catalyst in your life to yeah. go out there and accomplish bigger and better things. It's happened with everything, man. That was one. That's one big thing I think door-to-door gives you is the ability to set a goal and actually achieve it based on a direct input that you have 100% control over. Like door-to-door sales is not that hard in terms of like the action that you have to take. Like you want more sales, knock more doors. That is it. That's the only thing that you have to do is knock more doors because you're going to get better as you knock more doors. You know what I mean? It's going to take fewer doors to get that many sales next time. But this time, all you have to do, the literal only thing is go knock more doors. So it's something you have like that direct input and you have this goal that seems impossible, like it was very much that way for me with door to door. I think that, I think like those early notches in the belt to your point, I think were big, big, you know, confidence boosters along the way where it was like, did I just make 15 grand this month? Like knocking doors. Like I never thought like, like six figures. I'm going to make six figures this year. You know what I mean? Like back, back when I was like looking at that, it was, it, that seemed like an impossible thing, but you put in the, and you make the goal you become the person capable of achieving the goal and you put in the work and then you get the goal. It's like, Hmm, what else? What else did I think was impossible that now I just know is a matter of the equation and how can I work that equation in my favor? You know, and that's how it became with like raising capital for my software startup or building my agency to a seven figure business or interviewing the people that I've interviewed. It's like every single time it's that exact, it's that exact thing. What's the equation and how do we figure out how to make it work? You know, 
100%, man. Travis has been absolutely amazing, man. My last question for you. If you could go back in time to Travis seven, eight years ago before the podcast, before all the knowledge and experience and, you know, success that you've had, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently or what piece of advice or lesson would you tell future Travis in order to expedite to getting where you want to go? I mean, anytime I go back to before I started a podcast, I would tell myself to start a podcast sooner. Um, and especially in that particular time period, because the difference between the podcast landscape in 2013 and 2017 is massively different. And I would have been able to achieve a lot more in that, like in that four years rather than the subsequent four years, just due to the nature of like the saturation of podcasts. But if we're assuming that that's not a piece of advice I'm allowed to give, because I would give myself that advice anytime, um, then it would be something around like not being afraid to sacrifice earnings for learnings. Mm. Um, when I was younger and this would be different advice based on like the age, but since me seven, eight years ago would be like 21, 22, I would, or I guess now 23, um, I, I would really go, I would really go for like, Hey, what, what's a version of life that you want to have when you're 35, 40 and who has that version of life now go do whatever you can for that person. Like be their assistant at first, be a, be an intern, an unpaid intern at 23 and go work for that person for free and work your way into their world. Get like, learn how get into their mind, learn how they think, get in on their meetings, be their videographer, like just get around them, learn, soak up as much information as you can because you get the connections that they have, but you also download the information that they have and you can implement that into your own life. And if you go like for perfect example, Jared Glant, he's the president of Carter enterprises. He's got like a, a multi eight figure net worth at this point. And he's just been an employee from day one. And I don't know now I'm sure he has some equity in the company as being, being the president. I'm sure that there's some sort of like an equity and, and um, you know, a rev share type situation going on there. Um, I don't know, but uh, I'm, I would almost bet on it. But at the beginning he was just an employee is my point. He got around somebody who had something that he wanted and he stuck with them and helped them build something big. Um, so that, that would be, that would be like, don't go to like, try not to go to a corporation that's already massive. If you're young, like go somewhere with somebody that you believe in that's building something in that's, that's getting bigger because you can create a, uh, you can create wealth for yourself in that context. And you learn a ton in that, that you wouldn't be able to learn otherwise. Like Jared, if, if, if Grant Cardone was like, you know what, I'm done, we're shutting everything down or he sold his business or something. And Jared went and started his own company. It would be it would be successful. I would I would invest in whatever it was that Jared did next because I know that he has the ability to grow a company from three employees to hundreds of employees that does hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenue, and he's the president of that company right now, even though it's not his. So like whatever he does next will be successful, and he may not even need to do anything next because he'll just be able to retire. So, uh, so I, I would say like prioritize learnings over earnings when you're when you're uh, when you're young. Um, and I know that I know that that advice like isn't even applicable for everybody because you sometimes you can't do an unpaid internship. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was 23 because I still had a wife and a mortgage and bills and stuff like that. Um, but my point is, is like, I wish that I would have been more careful about like learning and building skills than like, I have to make X amount of dollars this year. You know what I'm saying? Cause you, you know how it is, bro. You get like, when you're that young, you think that like making the six figures is like the cool thing. And it's like, if I, if I could have just like gotten in and 
something super simple that I'll just use as an example right now that I'm not even saying that I would have done, but I'm saying like something just use as an example, learning Facebook ads, learning how to run traffic on Facebook ads when I was, you know, when I was 22 and 23, back when Facebook ads were like just coming on the scene. If I just went and worked for like a small ad agency that was growing and had a really great leader and learned from them and I became one of their big media buyers and blah, blah, blah. Even if I was only getting paid a salary of 70 to 80 grand a year or whatever, and I made less money from 20 to 25 than I did doing door to door at 20 to 25, like that skill set could have made me infinitely more money going into the next thing. So I don't know. I, I, I think learnings over earnings. And like I said, door to door was a really good skill set to learn as well. So there's, you know, there's that, but I think that would have been the big thing is like, I wish I would have just, I wish I would have been more open to working for somebody else. Cause at the time I was like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I don't work for anybody else. And you know, big that, ego, small bank account. Yeah, totally. Totally. That was that guy. So, um, you know, obviously ended up working out. Okay. But I, I think, I think that I would have had a little bit more value in terms of like, I wonder how you actually run a, a company that's going from $3 million in revenue. Cause like when Grant, when Jared's joined Grant, they were doing like two, 3 million in revenue. And like this year they'll do like a quarter billion between two or three of their companies. You know, it's like to see a company go from 3 million to that much, like to learn that process, even if it was only 3 million to 20 million or 3 million to 15 million, it's like that insight and that knowledge taking into my own venture would have been significantly more helpful for me, I think. So that's what I would say. Couldn't agree more, man. Skills pay the bills. Yeah. Travis, where uh, can the viewers find you, man? Uh, TravisChapel.com is a great place. C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. Uh, TravisChapel.com, just because like that will give you everything, all my socials and everything like that. Um, Instagram at TravisChapel. Um, if you want to go follow me over there, hit me up in the DMs or whatever. But uh, yeah, TravisChapel.com was kind of like the hub. So if you want to see Guestio, you go there. You want to see coaching, you go there. You want to see um, my podcast, you can go there. My socials, uh, it's all kind of hub. The, the hub is over at TravisChapel.com. And guys, for you guys listening, interested in starting a podcast, already have a podcast, definitely check out his app, Guestio. I'm pumped to start using it, and it's definitely a massive asset to get your podcast launched the right way. But man, it was uh, it was amazing. Thanks for coming on the show, Travis. Of course, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Guys, till next time, see ya.